0: Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've sung of waiting for your coming again. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would now speak to us through these words spoken by Jesus all those years ago. Amen. Can I invite you to keep your Bibles open at page 994, Matthew 24. As Richard has said to us this morning, we're in the season of Advent. This is the first Sunday of Advent. And of course, it's been a festival of the Christian church for 2,000 years And it's one in which that has uh, gained different meanings. By the sixth century, Roman Christians had tied this period of Advent to the coming of Christ. But the coming of Christ, they had in mind, was uh, not looking back, rather, it was looking forward. So it was not looking back to Bethlehem, to the first coming of Jesus, but they were looking forward to the uh, in expectation of the second coming of Jesus in, in glory and in judgment. And it wasn't, in fact, until the Middle Ages that the Advent season was explicitly linked to the first coming of Jesus at Christmas time. But it is an important time for us, isn't it? Because it presents us as Christian people waiting for the return of Jesus in glory to complete his eternal kingdom here on earth. And it's similar in some ways to the situation that Israel had been in at the end of the Old Testament. If you remember, the Israelites, they'd waited and hoped and prayed for for the coming of Messiah. Israel had looked back to God's gracious actions on their behalf, taking them, leading them out of Egypt in the Exodus. And it's on this basis that they called God again to send them a Messiah. And it's similar in a way, for us as Christians during Advent, we look back upon Christ's coming in celebrations, but we look forward to his coming again. And so it's appropriate that we sing songs like this, which picks these themes up. So it's a time of remembrance and it's a time of anticipation. And that, of course, for us, living in our age, is not always easy because we get um, in the midst of shopping and celebrations and lights and decoration and joyful carols. But this first Sunday is one in which we can look forward to the future because looking forward is a great thing to do, isn't it? We all do it naturally in our lives. So we look forward to a marriage. We look forward to the birth of that child, that baby. We look forward to the opportunity to study or to pursue a career or perhaps to go on a special holiday. Looking forward is important, but it sometimes gets also uh, attached to looking back as well. But it's important that we look forward as we're in advent, now we know, of course, that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is full of sin and corruption, and Jesus words here in Matthew are spoken in that context. Now Matthew Matthew chapter 24 verses 36 to 44 is just a small part of a very much larger passage in chapter 24. And to get this into context, we need to turn back to verse 2 of chapter 24, because this gives us the context of Jesus' teaching. Jesus and the disciples had been in the temple in Jerusalem, and Jesus had stated that this building, representing the very heart of the Jewish faith, will be destroyed in the future, symbolising the destruction of the Jewish faith and the nation. Now, this must have been a great shock to those people listening to him. And so, later, when they are together, the disciples ask him the questions. When will this happen? When will the end of the world come? They believed that he was the Messiah, so when would he come a second time. Well, the Bible, of course, gives us lots of teaching concerning Jesus coming back again someday. There are many ideas, of course, and opinions concerning end of times. But the Bible gives us few details of exactly what will happen. Instead, it advises us to be spiritually prepared for judgment and for the coming of Christ a second time. And so, the next 35 verses after verse 2 is the record of Jesus' reply to these questions. He gives them teaching concerning the evil times ahead. He warns them that yes, He will return, but only God the Father knows when this will happen. And this warning given by Jesus is repeated in Mark 13. Luke 21, and Paul writes of it again in 1 Thessalonians 5. So it's an important message for each one of us as followers of Jesus. So I think this passage, these, uh, these few verses we've got, lead us to think of three questions for us this morning. Three questions. When will Jesus return a second time? Because this is the question that the disciples are asking him. They wanted to know when Jesus would return in strength and put right right, all that was wrong in their world. They wanted to be on the winning side. They wanted to know when this would happen. I expect they thought it would happen soon. Because we, as people, as human beings, find it difficult, don't we, to think of long periods of time ahead. Their ability to look forward would have been limited quite understandably. We find it difficult also to know when Jesus is going to come again. And so, we see that Jesus gives them this answer. But Jesus also gives the answer in verse 44, that you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not expect him. Now, of course, we've had 2,000 years of Christian history. And during that time, there have been many, many attempts to interpret current events of the world, and how do they match up with the signs given in the Bible. There have been many, many predictions about the second coming of Christ, but all have been wrong. But Jesus does assure the disciples that he will return again a second time. But they can't know when this is going to happen, because he states that only God the Father will know when this will happen. And so it must have been difficult for them. Can you imagine Peter, that man who is always forthright and wanting to get on with things? What would he have thought about that? Well, Jesus tells him that this will happen. But the timing, of course, of this controversial event through the ages has caused lots of quarrels amongst believers. It has stimulated writing and novels that we know of, and a great deal of speculation. Jesus, though, is clear. No one on earth or in heaven will know, apart from God, that when he is going to return again. But what he does tell them is that it will be sudden, it will be unexpected, and it will be catastrophic in its effect upon the world, upon the spiritual forces and upon humanity. So what's it going to be like for us then? Well, perhaps it's good that we don't know when he's going to come again. Because if we did know the precise date, we might tempt it to be just a while to be sort of a bit laissez-faire about it with our work for Christ. We might even plan to keep on living for ourselves and then turn to God in repentance right at the end. Well, as followers of Jesus, of course... The whole question of heaven and eternity is not our only goal. Because as we respond in love to Jesus, we have work to do here now for God. So Jesus keeps on then telling them to keep on doing God's word of spreading the good news of the gospel to all people until we die or the return of Jesus comes first. But this doesn't mean, of course, that we should ignore the teaching of Jesus or live our lives in ignorance of it. Rather, we should be influenced by it. So my first question then, when will he return? No one knows. But secondly, what will the return of Jesus be like? What will it be like? Now, I've put in white up there the the actual heading of the cartoon, which wouldn't get on the slide but it's a a quip, isn't it? It's funny, but how true actually is it? Because Jesus uses his teaching style of picture language and biblical events to show the disciples what this event will be like. Firstly, he goes back to Genesis 6. If you remember that account of Noah and the flood. We read in Genesis 6, verse 5, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. We're told that Noah was a righteous man who had a relationship with God. We're told that Noah was obedient and did what God told him. He built the ark. And the people of his day that lived around him must have seen all of this. They must have seen Noah was righteous, a man who worshipped God. Yet what did they do? They carried on in their normal activities. And so we read in chapter 24 of Matthew, verses 37 and 38, we read that the days of Christ's return will be rather like the days of Noah. Everybody carrying out their daily lives when the flood came. So what's this analogy meant to convey to us? What's Jesus actually saying? Well, he's saying that the event is going to be sudden, it's going to be unexpected, and it's going to be catch people unaware. The judgment that comes from God will, keep it, will catch people by surprise. Don't forget this account, because in this account we see that there is people who are sinful and they are swept away by the flood, whilst Noah's family was left behind, safe and sound, on board the ark. And We have similar stories, don't we, in this passage. Look at verses 39, 40 and 41. Within these events, people are taken away from their normal activities when Christ returns a second time. Now, as I said, there's controversy in the interpretation of these words. Some commentators see this as people being taken away, being judged by God for their lives, while those righteous people will be left behind. Other commentators see the totally opposite viewpoint, Those that will those that are taken will be with Jesus on his return. One commentator puts it like this. This analogy with the story of Noah makes it perfectly clear that Jesus is not suggesting that those taken away are more fortunate than those left behind. To the contrary, those taken away are taken away for judgment, while those left behind are Are wiping their brows, thankful that they have survived the great and terrible day of the Lord. And again, this is uh, given us, this is repeated again in verses 40 to 43. The people were carrying out their normal work and activities, and then suddenly this was interrupted by one being removed from the place of work. They were not prepared for it, it was sudden. And again, this is given us in the account of the homeowner not prepared for the burglar coming. Now, as I said, some interpret this as those that are taken away are going to be caught up in rapture, what is known as the dispensational theories. Others say, no, there's no encouragement to take that viewpoint. And so, we've got these different viewpoints given. However, whichever we take, I think we can identify three things about this event. Firstly, it will be sudden. It will be sudden. It will come like a flash of lightning. Secondly, it will be unexpected. No one will be expecting that this is going to happen. And thirdly, there will be some form of judgment involved in this. So this leads us then nicely to our third question. If this is what Jesus is telling us, how then should we live or act? How should we live or act? Well, the advice given to us in these verses, verses 36 to 41, is that the faithful followers of Jesus must stay vigilant and awake, knowing that Christ will return, though not knowing when. Now, can I suggest that we can keep vigilant by waiting patiently, waiting patiently through keeping on with daily life, as as many of Jesus' parables teach us to. We keep on doing the work of Jesus here on earth, planting the seed, caring for the poor and the helpless. We wait patiently because we don't know when Jesus will return. But the lesson is also clear from this passage, that we need to be watchful and we need to be prepared for this. Prepared, we need to be watchful of what's happening in the world about us and within the community of believers. Watchful in the way that we know what Jesus says concerning the future. We need to be ready for the action of Jesus coming a second time. However, as we wait and as we are prepared for it, we should also wait expectantly. That is, the best is yet to come. Jesus refers to this in verse 46. Look what he says. He talks about the servant doing what the master has set him to do and the evil servant not doing so and so being judged on his return. Now, surely the danger for each one of us is that we don't wait expectantly. Because it's easy, isn't it, for us to get distracted by the good things of life, the things that give us pleasure, fulfilment, things like jobs, hobbies, families, relationships, and even our work within God's kingdom. But the question remains for us, are we living expectantly? expecting that Jesus will return. And if we are, how does this then influence how we should live our lives? Well, fortunately, we have guidance on this, not from me, but from the Bible. The Bible talks about how we should be living as we wait for Jesus' second coming. The Apostle Paul writes of this in his letter, his second letter, chapter 3, verses 8 to 14. He writes concerning the coming of Jesus a second time and the way that the followers should live. He reminds us of God's timing. He says that for God, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. He is patient so that everyone can come to repentance. And so we should be patient. But also he speaks in verse 11 that we should be holy and godly. We should live godly lives. In verse 14, he writes that we should be spotless and blameless and at peace with him. We should be spotless and blameless and at peace with him. As we look forward to the new heaven and the new earth the place of righteousness. Now, note the words here spoken and written by Peter because these words are doing words, aren't they? They are verbs. They are active words. So we're not just to be patient and resigned. No, we're to actively live out being spotless, patient, godly, and holy. Holy. And of course, we may say, well, this is incredibly difficult. How can we do it? Well, we do it by keeping short accounts with God, repenting of our sins daily and accepting the forgiveness of God and asking that his Holy Spirit fill us each day. And as we do so, our lives will be a witness to the society around us that doesn't pursue holiness and service of God. However, we're also called, I believe, to expect judgment. Because this whole chapter in Matthew 24 gives this message that the return of Jesus will be painful to many. In fact, these words of Jesus are actually spoken to the disciples. That is those that follow him. And so the warning is to them and it's to us who follow Jesus. Now, Paul makes exactly the same comment when he writes to the Christians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Look what he writes. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of you may receive what is due to him by, for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. There will be judgment. It's a sobering thought. But of course... Jesus offers forgiveness for those that repent. And so, at the beginning of Advent, let us not be asleep, but let us be in expectation that God is working his purpose out through the passage of time. Let us be vigilant concerning this complex issue of the return of Jesus. And I'd like to leave you with three suggestions on how we can do this. Firstly, we can study the Bible passages referring to Jesus uh, coming again, his return. So we're not ignorant about uh, this event. Secondly, we can keep an eye on what's happening actually in the world around us. We can keep an eye on world events. But thirdly, and most importantly, we can pray for wisdom and for holiness for ourselves and for our church. Well, I'll leave you with this quote from Paul again. Paul writes to the, one th- to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4. So he's speaking to the Christians there. He's, he writes this, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, so let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the season of Advent. We thank you that we can look back at the birth of your son, Jesus, here on earth, but also that we can look forward to your return a second time. We can be prepared for your coming, and it can give us the wisdom to how we should be living our lives today. And so we pray, Father, that you would bless each one of us, and we pray that your spirit would fill us anew this morning. Amen.